welcome back to another podcast episode this time though it's another interview and i've kind of low-key been killing it with my guests guys because i've been able to have such amazing people on the podcast but this episode i am so excited for because i'm in conversation with with patrick armstrong and there will definitely be two parts to this episode this first part focuses on patrick's experience as a korean american and how he's navigated life with his intersectionalities and without further ado i am so excited for you to listen in and enjoy Hey, Patrick. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to chat with you. Hey, Isha. Glad to be here and excited to chat with you as well. I think this is something worth pointing out, and that is that I think that you have such an interesting background, and this has come <laughs> up in a lot of conversations that we've had, and it's I've always wanted to know your story, and you're also one of the first male podcast guests that I've had on, and oh. that is also really exciting for me because today we're going to talk about something that I've been honestly so curious about and I'd love to get your insights on. To start off, why don't you give us a little bit of background about your story, how you got to where you are today, um, and everything that just is the crux of your brand that you have. Sure. So my name is Patrick Armstrong. I use he, him pronouns. I was born in 1990 in Seoul, Korea and adopted, I think, about nine months later to a white family in rural Indiana. That's where I spent my formative years, grew up uh, in this very small town, predominantly white, had a really good relationship growing up with my family, um, and had what I guess most people would consider a normal childhood. Um, mm -hmm. Growing up, played a lot of sports, did a lot of different things, and then went to college at Purdue, was there for a little bit, and then dropped out of college after a couple or a few years and went straight into the workforce, worked in a ton of different industries, a ton of different jobs, lived in San Diego for a year, lived in Houston for a few months after Hurricane Harvey and uh, did some volunteer work and the relief effort. And then, and then I spent a couple years in Chicago. And then in June 2020, my wife and I had just moved back from Chicago to Indiana and I started I had an epiphany one day and started this journey of identity that I has brought me here to sit down and have this conversation with you. So as an adoptee, I rejected my identity as an Asian American for a really long time for those first 30 years. And in June of 2020, had this revelation, went on what I consider or what I call my journey of reclamation. Uh, was on that journey for two years. And then in May of 2022, had a second epiphany where I found self-acceptance for the first time. And that's what I consider to be the acceptance phase when I entered into that phase of my story at that point. Did a lot more growing, went back to Korea for the very first time in October of 2022. And then just did a lot of stuff in between there. Started a podcast called The John Chi Show, which has been all about sharing that experience and sharing the experience of other Korean adoptees. And then recently started another show called Conversation Piece, which Isha has been kind enough to be a guest on. And that shows about the missing pieces of the conversations that we already have. And I think we are going to get into that a little bit more, but mm -hmm. that's kind of my story in a nutshell. It's pretty, that's the truncated version, but I feel like we're going to extrapolate a little bit more so what i love so much about your story and the way you tell it too is this connection that you have to your identity because it's this acceptance piece that when you talk about it i can so like with a full body say yes like 100 percent, i've been there and i think the reason why um i find your story so inspiring 
even more so is that one it has so many layers and like one of intersectionality but two of culture with your experiences mm. with being adopted and then growing up in a culture that was different than your biological culture but also in a sense that as a man the way you talk about your identity or the way you embrace it is really powerful to listen to because i think this um journey that you spoke about of self acceptance has become unnecessarily feminized in media and society sure. in a way that a lot of times people think it's really not okay to do if you're like too much of a man right because it's right. a sign of weakness which is absolutely <laughs> warped and incorrect which is why i love your story but i know you spoke about having like two epiphanies at different points in your journey sure. what were those two epiphanies like like what what were the two different points for you Absolutely. So after my wife and I moved back, so we moved back in May of 2020 from Chicago to Indianapolis and we were in the house that we were renting. And at this time was the beginning of the pandemic. Um, we were seeing a rise in violence against Asian and Asian American folks here in the United States. And we were also seeing very publicized state violence against uh, black folks, specifically like George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor. So all of these things were happening uh, all at once. And then my wife and I were talking about starting our family and what that would look like because we were going to be getting married in a year. And so we were sitting at home one day and we were watching Always Be My Maybe on Netflix. Uh, that's a yeah rom-com with Randall Park and Ali Wong. Hilarious. But a really early scene in that movie where they're doing some cooking kind of just flipped the switch in my mind. And I looked over at my wife and I said... How am I going to raise our kids to navigate this world as Asian when I don't know how to do that? Wow. And I had never asked that question before, had never even really thought about it before. Uh, I'd spent all of these first 30 years of my life in rejection of that and doing everything I could to get away from it. That asking the question felt like it felt like an epiphany, but it also felt like I didn't know what I was doing. But mm -hmm. I ran with that feeling. The very next day, I looked up Asian American on my podcast app and found a show called Dear Asian Americans, ended up uh, reaching out to the very first guest of that show the on the very first episode because I was just so enthralled with what he was talking about when it comes to like struggling to find your identity and struggling to figure out what it means to be Asian American and to live that life and that experience here. And luckily enough, he emailed me back the very next day and sent me a study called Too Korean to be White, too white to be Korean. He said, I don't know that experience, but I know some people who do. Here's somebody who I know has done research on this topic. And I'm sitting there reading this study and I just start weeping. And I'm like, what? first off, why am I crying at this scholastic article? Like what is happening to me? <laughs> but secondly, it was because I had, I was reading my own experience for the first time, but not just like thinking about it in my own brain. I was seeing words like adoptee or hearing about experiences of like dealing with racism or dealing with feeling like I wanted to be different all the time, but not knowing how to articulate that and talk about that and just having to suppress all of that uh, within myself and just move on, assimilate, assimilate, assimilate into the culture that I found myself in. And it was just, it was a profound experience. And from that moment got connected to, um, Jerry Wan, the host of that podcast, who put me together with two other Korean adoptees named KJ Relke and Nathan Nowak, and together reluctantly, but thankfully started the John Chi Show, which is about 
all of this experience and going through all of that, not only telling our own stories, but being able to facilitate and tell other people's stories in the community as well. And so that was that first epiphany. It was like, I see these things happening and realizing, oh shit, I don't know anything about this. I don't know anything about this part of myself, which seems pretty important because this is how I've looked my entire life. So I probably need to know about this. The second epiphany, so that was me going from re rejection to reclamation or exiting rejection, entering reclamation. The second epiphany would be going from reclamation to acceptance. And uh, in May of 2022, uh, Asian Heritage Month, I was in New York City on the back end of a one week tour, helping one of my friends do a bunch of speaking, talking about the Asian American experience. And he had invited me to MC an event in New York. It was a night market event, super awesome. Um, but it was something I'd never done before. And I was really, really nervous as we were getting ready, feeling very confident, exuding confidence, but internally, like my introverted self was like, you're just don't, don't mess this up. Do not mess <laughs> this up. Just like really freaking out. Yep. And the event starts and I were like, I'm, I'm entered or interacting with people, mingling, just having a good time. And then I go up and start to intro the event. And like in the middle of kind of doing what I'm doing now, rehashing my story a little bit, I felt this weight just leave my body, just exit my body. And all at that moment, I knew that I was like fully accepting myself for the very first time, not only just as Asian, not only as adopted, but being a, an Asian American adoptee and like, what that is and like for the first time i could like really love myself and like that's the first time that i really really felt that feeling and mm -hmm. it was just like i knew i had reached another stage in my life where i wasn't just reclaiming and trying to get to this point of acceptance i had found it and mm -hmm. it was like oh shit, here we go and so from that point that was like a huge pivot and a lot of things have happened since then but um those would be those two points for sure yeah and that is so powerful. And thank you so much for sharing that, because what I'm hearing you say is it wasn't just enough for you to interact with parts of your identity as isolated pieces of yourself. You had to really dig deep and say, OK, I'm not just Korean. I'm not just American. I'm not right. just American. I am not just adopted. I am all of these things together. And I think that like intersectionality is so complex to understand because that your identity isn't just what you're born into or born with. It changes throughout your life, like with yourself too, right? You reach this point where you were like, oh wait, I've lived life as an American, but now I realize that my ethnicity is completely different. Um, right. And that it's like a whole nother um, part of myself that I have to navigate, which is so powerful. But I know now that you have a podcast and both of your podcasts that you mentioned are in the space of uplifting communities of color and really representing them. So you really went from battling that identity crisis that you had to then making it something tangible for not just yourself, but for others. Um, so what has that journey been like in terms of navigating your culture and like accepting it to the point where now you can really create something from it? Yeah. So, I mean, getting thrust into the podcasting space pretty early on in my journey was looking back very important because it forced me to not only learn how to start articulating my own story, but if I was going to be a host of a show, like have to learn how to be able to provide that space for other people. And the biggest part was it wasn't necessarily that I was struggling navigating 
the culture per se. It mm-hmm. was more like I was still in this period of reclamation where I was parsing through each of the pieces. So like when I first started this journey, at, like I was like, I need to learn everything what it, about what it means to be Korean American, to be Korean and learn about Korean culture because I don't know anything about that. Then I learned about the adoptee community and I'm like, oh, okay, this seems pretty important. Let me dive into this. And I, the Korean stuff and the Asian American stuff kind of took a back burner. But then it was like, or and then after I got a little bit into the community, stuff was happening in society. And it was just like, you know, I feel like there's something else here. And that's when it became more about my Asian American identity, which is taking those two disparate things, Korean and adopted and meshing them together. And then it was about, okay, how do all of these things fit together? So how podcasting helped that was really putting me in this position to have to examine my own story again and again and again. And because each week I was finding things, if I was finding things in our interviews when guests would share that I was like processing at the, or at the exact same time. It was, it was really surreal, especially in those early episodes, because I was looking for language. I was looking for metaphor. I was looking for anything that would help me understand and articulate my experience. And it just seemed like every guest had something new to say about what they went through. And even though I went through something a little bit different, the theme of it resonated so hard that I was like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm just having this revelation now. And if you listen to any of those early episodes, you can hear me like in real time come through and, and think about this process. And so the podcasting thing really just helped me figure out how to tell that story. Mm. And so that was, and then from that, opportunities arise to be able to explore culture. So it pushed me to want to engage more uh, locally in like the Asian American and specifically the Korean American community here in Indianapolis. And so to be a part of what that means and figure out what that means, it also pushed me to make more connections outside of Indianapolis, Indiana, and going to the different parts of uh, Asian America, like on the coasts where you see high concentrations of our communities and being able to experience what that's like because I never had before. And so through podcasting, not only did I have a chance to tell my story mm-hmm. and tell other people's stories, but it gave me opportunities and it provided me opportunities to go and explore things about culture that I never even thought of in the past as something that I would want to do. Which is so powerful because you find parts of your story, which is, and that's what I love about podcasting too is that you go you have these interviews and sure you have a list of questions that you're like okay this is what i want to ask this person but then at some point you're just in there and you're like wait this i'm learning so much about your life right and that's teaching so much like teaching me so much not because we have the same stories but because at the end of the day it's that like sense of humanity and that like common thread that really ties everything together exactly Um, and like when when you went through your experience of not knowing about your identity almost and then coming to terms with it and embracing it do you think that there were and i know you mentioned this was like later in life for you but when you were younger and growing up what was that experience like were you really aware of the fact that your identities were like meshed were you aware of the fact that you look different or that your experiences were different what was that like so i knew that they were always meshed like my parents didn't withhold that i was adopted because it was obvious that we were (laughs) not of the same ethnicity or race And so that was always on the table, but we never talked about race or racism or anything like that when those things happened. When I would experience racism or prejudice and would try to tell my parents or anybody about it, it would just be like either I misunderstood or they were joking and I was taking it wrong or I was too sensitive. You know, usually the onus fell back on me. 
And so that's why I consider those first 30 years of my life my phase of rejection because mm. early on I learned and internalized this belief that being Asian was bad or wrong or it, it was different, but it was in a negative connotation. And so I strove to be as white as I possibly could. And so when I talk about navigating American culture, I'm really talking about navigating white culture because I really did grow up. I grew up in what's called a sundown town. So essentially, if you're a person of color, you don't want to be out after the sun goes down. Wow. Like that's the type of situation that I was in. I rem There were times that I knew specifically that those things were being directed at me. Here's the problem, though, is that I internalize this whiteness so much and white ideology so much in this mindset that I would just laugh and say, well, yeah, they got it right. Or haha, I'd make the joke. I try to make the joke first or whatever it was. And even though I knew it was killing me inside, I would tell myself that it wasn't that, that I would do everything I could to just justify in my mind that that was OK and that or I was taking it wrong. Like I needed to get over it. I was taking it too serious, whatever it might be. And like there's a difference between making a joke <laughs> and being racist and like being a bigot or um, like throwing around prejudice in that way, like essentially bullying. And I went out of my way to be okay with that. And so that really informed the way that I would navigate the world when I went to college, when I was a young adult, essentially till I got to 30. So, wow. I mean, to, I mean, just to give you one more anecdote, like I, when I got to college, I went to Purdue, large Asian student population. It's a big engineering school, big doctor school, oh, uh, medical school. Um, um, and so usually it's a, a time for people to be able to connect with, you know, new folks, make new friends, find new community, um, especially people who look like you or maybe share the same experience. But I was so comfortable in whiteness, in being in my predominantly white circle that I, again, went out of my way to do that. And one time I was sitting in class and I had I uh, was just chilling by myself, waiting for the class to start. And I clocked somebody walking up to me. And I looked over and I could see that it was an Asian girl and she started to say something to me. And I recognized immediately it was a language that I did not understand. And because I only spoke English and in my mind, I thought to myself, I'm like, OK, I can either help this person. And like, here's your first steps into this or I can't do I won't do that. And I'll just remain in my zone of comfort. And unfortunately, I chose the latter. And. I just waved her off and she left and I never thought about her again until I became third until I went on this journey. And I think about that specific moment a lot because it says a lot about not only the mindset I had when I was growing up, but how enforced and affirmed that mindset was for me to then operate that way outside of my uh, home or where I grew up outside mm -hmm. of that community and how not only was I harming myself internally by doing things like that and rejecting my own identity, but that rejection was causing harm to other people outward. Mm -hmm. Like it was working its way out of me too. And so that is like, at the end of the day, there was no identity for me in that because I did all of the work of white supremacy essentially to yes. reject a piece of myself. And that's really first, like, thank you for sharing that because I think that's such a common experience. And I think that it extends across the board and across communities. Like, I think a huge part of that internalizing that identity and almost laughing it off is because we convince ourselves that 
if we were to act or represent our culture that we would be taken less seriously or we would be less intelligent or less athletic or less social whatever that falls under right and so for me a huge part of that journey for instance was like my accent and mm. growing up i obviously i grew up in india for 18 years so my accent was okay but when i got to the last two years of high school i went to a school in mumbai india where all of my friends grew up abroad and then came to school there and all mm. of my professors were also american i I had a handful of teachers that were actually Indian. And so because of that, I was around a lot of diverse accents. And then as a joke, my friends would make fun of me and say, oh, like Isha's Indian accent is so thick. And I almost took that as I internalized it and said, haha, that's so funny. But inside, I was like, oh, no, like this is something that I'm slowly starting to get conscious about. And then I right. changed it instead of being confident and saying, no, I'm comfortable with the way I talk. And so now when I talk and I get a lot of questions, I'm like, sure, part of it is socialization. But then the other part of it was also that I forced myself to really learn how to talk differently because I thought that I was incorrect right. to maybe approach life in the way that I wanted to. So that's really powerful. And I 100% understand that. But when it comes to, I know you touched on this a little bit, but I want to pick at it a little because I think it's so interesting, sure. is that you're talking about growing up american but then you have this you, you're obviously you're korean um when you have these different identities and you're very aware of them right it's like okay i grew up in an american house with american values but that my culture might be really different was there ever any conflict within you once you came to that acceptance where it was like oh i'm american and i was brought up here and everything but biologically quote unquote biologically I'm Korean so there are stereotypes that come with my culture that maybe don't apply to me but still kind of exist and now you notice those things was there ever like conflict between those two cultures that you had or was that something you did struggle with so I don't think I necessarily struggled with dealing in like Korean cultural stereotypes I feel like I again I feel like I've am so American in some ways that mm -hmm. I only exude some of those stereotypes and mm -hmm. or only exude those stereotypes. And that also isn't attributed to like my complete lack of Korean culture growing up or even accessing it until I started this journey. And my problem now is that I don't consistently enough engage in the culture as much as I should to really internalize some of those cultural nuances to where I would probably be noticing them a lot more. Um, I get my hair cut by a Korean Ajma. She just gives, she super cheap, uh, super <laughs> efficient, no conversation. I love it. But um, one of the things that I always do is when I hand her my credit card, and this is something I've learned in Korean culture is I hand it with two hands. And I think this is like an Asian thing, but as a sign of respect. And I, and I learned that pretty early on in our explorations on the John Chi show. And I'm like, okay, when I, hand things to older older Korean folks, I'm going to do it with two hands. And that's something I notice a little bit, but I don't necessarily feel like I personally am thinking about it a lot, especially when I'm operating in America. I'm getting ready to go back to Korea for the second time um, next week based on when we're recording this interview. And I can say I'm thinking about those cultural things a little bit more, but I feel like the shift to 
um, Korea in Korea, Korean culture in Korea versus Korean American culture in America is widely different as well. Just based on my other experience of having gone back to Korea last October is that you do still do those nuanced things, but they've evolved and they, and that's where Korean American culture, I feel like you can see a lot of the meshing of these two cultures and how Koreans specifically and the children of immigrants have developed different ways to navigate this space as a different version of what it means to be Korean than necessarily when we first immigrate here to America and just continuing Korean custom and culture at that time. It's like, it's, it's a little bit different now. So I think those nuances are different. And I think because I'm so culturally American, it is, like it's hard for me to unless i'm really really focused hyper focused on the korean cultural things that i'm doing to notice that but i do know that there are those differences and i do know that when i am interacting with koreans specifically i if i can think of the thing i will try and do the thing <laughs> no I, and I, I think it's my main takeaway that i'm getting so far with our conversation is that identity is so complex it's not just like x axis y axis it's almost like three-dimensional because one you're like thinking about one part of your identity then you're thinking about like the identity of the society that you're in you're in and then the third layer is almost like how does like each community interact like where does that fall in right. and then you get placed in maybe one quadrant or like a little dot somewhere on this larger model but i think that's a really helpful way to think about it is that your identity doesn't have to be black or white it doesn't have to be binary it's always evolving and it's very three-dimensional almost. Well, you talked about intersectionality and I think that's the whole thing. Honestly, I don't intersect with a ton of identities, but even within my few intersections of being a cis heterosexual male Korean adoptee who has been culturally, who has been Americanized culturally. <laughs> Those are a lot and, of I mean, that is a little bit more than I was thinking, but <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not queer. I'm not disabled. I don't have a neuro, uh, neuro, uh, diverse ability. Like I don't have the, some of these other things that can push you to even more marginalizations. And I think that the more intersections that we find in our identity, the more context and com community context, the more social context that we have to be aware of, not because we want to be want to, but because we have to, in order to survive, in order to thrive, in order to make it. And for me, even just to sit at the six things that I listed is like, sometimes it's hard for my brain to slow down for me to like sit in all of that and just exist. And so I think going to Korea specifically for me has been a place where I can kind of do that because I don't have the American social pressure and that I have here to be who I've, I guess I've always been or to be who I am now and show people that. Mm -hmm. But there is this cultural pressure of being Korean that hovers over it. But I, I guess that should have been an and. And there's like a there's a level of cultural competence that is supposed I'm supposed to inhabit while I'm in Korea, even though I don't know that because I look I ethnically look the same as everybody else there. If I'm as long as I'm not acting out of pocket on those things, nobody's going to notice. And so I can just exist in a way that I can't hear where especially being in, Indi in Indiana, where there is a where Asian America is very small. Um, it's like I have to always be 
code switching, I always have to be navigating into different ways and thinking about the different things that I have to do in order to appease the people who always know me or the people who are getting to know me now. And I have to continue to switch through that to make my, so it makes my identity, it has to be malleable. It has to be fluid because I have to be able to move through my intersections um, just in order to, to make it through one day. Um, in Korea, I'm able to kind of shed that mask a little bit. And it sucks that we have to do that because it's dangerous sometimes. Like for me, I carry like height privilege, I call it, because I'm a tall person. So I'm like six, almost 6'1". And so like when violence is happening against our community, at the end of the day, like it can happen to me at any time. But I also carry that privilege of being a tall male who's yep. fairly okay built. And like a person's probably not going to attack me. They're going to go attack probably a female presenting person or an elderly person or, or an older person or someone with a disability because that's how cowardice happens or, or, or acts. But also that's just the way privilege operates as well. And I have to like recognize that. And so that's another intersection, the intersection of privilege, like socioeconomic privilege, like all of these different things. And it's a lot. It's a lot to think about. But intersection is so important because if we're not thinking about those things then we forget. We leave people out of the conversation. We leave people out of necessary services and support. And we end up in situations like we find our country in. So, I love listening to the way you unpack these different parts of your identity because it's so refreshing to really hear it from someone else's perspective, especially because you've been through that journey of really accepting where you are. And you're on that journey probably still. But it's really cool to hear you talk about it. And I think a huge part of it is also that identity it's very easy like you said to like list off your different identities and say i'm this and this and that. i also identify as like you know x parts of my identity but that when you sit with the labels and process them it's a completely different experience and i think right. that that the second you sit with it is the way you understand privilege and the way you unpack privilege and that ultimately to me is how you start taking steps to create a community that's more inclusive and that's exactly what you're able to do with whether it's with the way you interact with folks around you or the content that you create um and that's very also apparent in the way that you have conversations about these topics hello this is solo isha telling you that that's a wrap for part one of my episode with Patrick. Um, and it's been so interesting. And I, and I really hope that it resonated and that you learned something new because I definitely did. Part two, however, is going to be even more, if not the same level of interesting. And we talk and we really delve into toxic masculinity and, and what it's like to be a person of color in today's society. So, so make sure that you go and listen to that as well. Um, and thank you for listening in today.